welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. Welcome to Health Matters today. Thanks for joining us this bright, sunny day here in Sonoma Valley. And for those of you out of state, well, you'll just have to live with it. We have the best weather of the universe at the very moment. <clears throat> today, we're going to be joined a little bit of an unusual journey, actually. We're going to be talking to David Barsamyan, the uh, author, in conversation with Richard Wolf, a book called Occupy the Economy, Challenging Capitalism. Now, you might think that this is a... Um, kind of not off the right in the in the center of the health topic and yet it strikes me that <clears throat> that in in our life today um, we have a very unhealthy economy and so part of our health matters for today at least is a discussion of, of an in-depth discussion with a very uh, compelling uh, economist Richard Wolf and also his um, his interviewer, uh, David Barsonyan. We won't be with Dr. Wolf, but we will we'll be with David. And David himself is an interesting character. He's the, um, the director, radio broadcaster, writer, and founder of the Alternative Radio of Boulder, Colorado, a syndicated weekly talk radio program heard on 125 radio stations in various uh, countries. Uh, he's been at it a long time. I've heard, I remember starting to hear David um, at least 20 years ago. And um, he's always had interesting people that he was interviewing or talking to or bringing forth. And so it was fun to get a chance to uh, listen to his presentation on this book, Occupy the Economy, in Point Reyes uh, several weeks ago. And then I asked him, I said, well, again, because the way they were describing the situation, it, the health of how the health of humanity and the health of the economy were, were bound together in an ex- inexorable Connection, and I thought that this was a big enough reason. And since he was there available, I thought I'd take advantage of his hospitality and ask him to join us. So, what I anticipate doing before David will be with us in a few minutes, I anticipate reading some of the end of, uh, actually, the end of the uh, book. Well, I'll do the end or the beginning. Let's do the beginning, actually. For the last half century, capitalism has been a taboo subject in the United States among politicians, journalists, and academics, and and in public conversation generally. The word has been avoided or else exclusively praised in over-the-top prose. Professional economics economists have used the word like um, perfect competition, optimal allocation of resources and efficiency to teach their students and to assure one another how absolutely wonderful capitalism was for everyone. Politicians reported, re, uh, repeated robot style that the U.S. is the greatest country in the world, that capitalism is the greatest economic system in the world. Those few who have dared to raise questions or criticisms about capitalism have been either ignored or told to go live in North Korea, China, or Cuba. 
as if they were that were the only alternative to the pro-capitalistic cheerleading. Americans have criticized and debated their educational, medical, welfare, transportation, mass media, political, and other institutions and systems. They have questioned and at least partly transformed such traditional institutions as racism, sexism, the heterosexual family, and the state. They've even sometimes challenged this or that aspect of the economy, such as prices, the Federal Reserve actions, and so on, but almost never the particular economic system itself. Questioning, criticizing capitalism has been taboo. Treated by federal authorities, immigration authorities, officials, police, and almost the public as akin to treason. Fear-driven silence has substituted for the necessary healthy criticism without which all institutions, systems, and traditions harden into dogmas, deteriorate into social rigidities, or worse. Protected from, protected, excuse me, protected from criticism and debate, capitalism in the United States could and has indulged all its darker impulses and, t- and tendencies. No public exposure, criticism, and, and movement for change could arise or stand in its way as the system and its effects, however, became ever more unequal, unjust, inefficient, and oppressive. Long before the Occupy movement, again, the name of this book to... to to segue back, it's called Occupy the, uh, the Economy, Challenging Capitalism, in case you didn't get the beginning of the program. Uh, long before the Occupy movement arose to reveal or oppose that what U.S. capitalism had become, that capitalism had divided the 1% from the 99%, the importance of the Occupy movement was and, and is positioning its challenge to capitalism front and center among the concerns and passions. No oppositional mass movement in the last 50 years, one drawing broadly inclusive participation, has, has been similarly daring in going beyond the single-issue focus to make the economic injustice of the 99% and the ruling economic system central defining issues. Despite the, pow- the power of pro-capitalism ideology, Occupy has been able to, to contest it in amazingly profound ways in an amazingly short time for an amazingly number of Americans. Of course, Occupy is the first step. Nothing of comparably broad scope or with such transformative social objectives have ever moved forward in a straight line. It's rather two steps forward and one step back, backward. However, a major barrier has been broken, the major line has been crossed, and a new stage of U.S. politics has begun. The issue of our economic system and whether it is adequate to our needs as a people has, has now returned to the center of the national discussion, criticism, and debate. The, the political, mass media, and academic institutions react predictably. They cannot acknowledge the historical significance of what Occupy says and does, it would require admitting the need to debate precisely those issues they had effectively banned from the acceptable public discourse. So the, so the uh, uh, politicians repress. New, York mayor's, uh, New, York, New York's Mayor uh, Bloomberg claimed that he forcibly removed Occupy from Zuccotti Park for the reasons of cleanliness. Bloomberg, it should be remembered, has presided over for many years over one of the filthiest subway systems in the industrial world, one of the dirtiest public garbage systems and snow removal systems that inspire our leading comics. The mass media did their usual bit 
ignoring Occupy as long as possible, massively representing what Occupy what, when when Occupy was hot news, largely cheering or glossing over the removal of Occupy encampments, then resuming the basic practice of ignoring the ongoing developments of Occupy and the related events and activities. And I'm hoping that David will be with us soon. Let's see where he should be here almost in a moment. The academic, <clears throat> excuse me, the academic uh, uh, professions ought to have been innately involved in analyzing and debating a broken capitalist systems whose deep crisis had confounded all of its confident expectations. It had done nothing of the sort. Instead, it proceeds as if, indeed, mostly still insists that nothing has happened to disturb its 50-year celebration of capitalism's efficiency and growth. A few professors of economics, Paul Krugman and, and the business Noriel uh, Robini, have commented on the absurdity of, the, of this insistence. But most of them could go no further than to recycle Keynesian's 1930 critiques of, depressed, of a depressed capitalism that has recommend, that, and recommendations for deficit spending and monetary stimulus by the government. And of course, the few right-wing economists who have taken the crisis seriously, utilized it to push yet again for less government economic intervention as the panacea. Questioning the system and debating basic system change has remained for government, mainstream media, and most professors something beyond the pale. They see no need to end their 50-year repression or marginalization of such questions and debates. For them, the basic organization of production and distribution of commodities like property and power structures that sustain them do not deserve criticism. And here's our guest. Welcome to Health Matters. Thanks for joining us. Oh, hi. It's David. Yes, it is. Well, welcome, David. We're, you've just come in on uh, the beginning of the reading. I'm at, I'm at page 10 of the introduction to your fine book, Occupy the Economy Challenging Capitalism. We're we're now oh, joined. Terrific. Yeah, we're now joined by David Barsamyan. How do you say your last name, uh, David? Bars Barsamyan. Barsamyan. Thank you. Barsamyan. Yeah. Barsamyan. Armenian. All right, of course. And uh, as I announced to our listeners, that you are the Armenian American radio broadcaster and and uh, founder and director of Alternative Radio of Boulder, Colorado, which for those of us who've been listening to you for 20 more years, we are delighted that you've done what you've done. So just right up front, David, right at the very beginning of this program, I want to say thank you for all your good work. Well, thank you very much. It's very kind of you, Ned, and I'm trying to uh, increase, uh, in, you know, make a contribution to audio health, as it were, <laughs> by providing news and information that the corporate control media won't uh, get out. Right, exactly. So, D David, um, maybe for our listeners' benefit, we those of you, those of of them, the the few, the few perhaps who haven't heard you for the last twenty years, let's let's kind of roll back a little bit and talk about David and talk about kind of how you got started in this trade, as it were. Well, it's uh, actually twenty-seven years of nationally and internationally broadcasting alternative radio. I started in community radio in Boulder, Colorado, which has one of the best community radio stations in the United States, KGNU. I began there as a volunteer, and I honed my skills. I 
um, you know, became adept at writing and announcing and editing and all of the things that are required to do good radio. And uh, from 1986, uh, I started distributing nationally and uh, internationally. And so uh, we're now moving into our 27th year of uh, independent, progressive uh, views and perspectives. Uh, I've done a lot of programs on public health, by the way, GMOs, corporate control, agriculture, uh, the growth of um, farmers markets and CSAs, uh, why public health is so uh, such a class issue in the United States, uh, who receives the best uh, treatment and the best medicine, right. uh, is often, of course, uh, dictated by economics. And people who have money, have privilege, are able then to get uh, the best possible care, while uh, the bulk of the population is left uh, floundering. Mm. or as the New York Times called it, uh, left to their own devices. Mm. Well, so David, uh, for our listeners who would like to know more about this general, the the various general themes that you've talked about, tell us your website and to also mention how are these these archived? Are these things that, are they only for for purchase or are there there archives where people can, can go actually listen to audio streams of some of this work? Uh, it's it's a combination of both. I have no source of income. Alternative radio uh, is entirely sustained by listeners who purchase CDs, MP3s, or printed transcripts. Right. So there's uh, quite a bit of uh, free uh, audio as well as DVDs. Mm-hmm. But uh, people should know but when they go to alternativeradio.org, alternativeradio.org, uh, they are supporting uh, one of the you know major independent media institutions uh, in the United States. And so uh, we need uh, people to uh, support us in very concrete ways. Uh, we also have a whole series of books that I've done over the years, including uh, one with Richard Wolff called Occupy the Economy, Challenging Capitalism, and one that just came out yesterday, as a matter of fact, called Power Systems with Noam Chomsky. Um, This is the uh, part three of a trilogy that I've done with uh, Chomsky. First one was Imperial Ambitions. That was followed by What We Say Goes, and the new one is uh, Power Systems. I must say that Alternative Radio, since its inception, uh, has made a special effort to archive uh, the work of Noam Chomsky. Uh, One of the reasons I got into what I was doing was I was shocked that uh, he was not to be heard uh, anywhere in in public and community radio in the United States. And uh, the very first programs I did uh, featured uh, Noam Chomsky. Well, that's of course probably one of the probably likely the first places I I heard Noam Chomsky, and I was I remember being so gratified to to have somebody finally sit me down and kind of give me a lesson a, a primer on the many things that uh, Noam Chomsky talks about, and uh, of course he's such a a fine teacher, and so uh, whether one necessarily completely is in, is believes everything religiously that he says. He's such a fine explainer and wonderful storyteller. And, of course, as, as over the years as I've listened to you and also he, I, it, you too have become a, a fine storyteller. And, and as I read the book with Occupy Economy, this other more recent, fairly recent book, uh, just this, still this year, uh, again, the, the, the deep and penetrating questions that you, you put to um, uh, Richard Wolff are the, the very questions that uh, any sort of thoughtful 
uh, person who, who 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 got through the haze of the denial system of where the you know the capitalism was the was the religion on the hill. It was the it was the high point of human development and all of that free market stuff. But if if one had any kind of sort of other than you know religious affiliation with that, one would be grateful for the kinds of questions that you put to to Richard. So uh, let's. Let's actually move toward that book a little bit now because that, of course, kind of did get us started to meeting today. And so maybe you could start a little bit and maybe lay out some of the sort of the basic preoccupations of the book. And then we'll have a little break and then we'll give our listeners a chance to call in if they if they choose to. So the focus of the book is capitalism. Right. Uh, The economic system that uh, no one wants to name but that everyone talks about. It goes under, it goes by euphemisms of the free market, uh, you know, the uh, American way of life and and other such. um, (laughs) Makes it sound uh, wonderful, right? Yeah, it makes it sound very palatable. But uh, this is an economic system that has... um, endured major uh, crashes on a, on a very systemic basis. Uh, since the end of World War II, uh, there have been 16 uh, economic recessions. The current one, which began in December of 2007, and is still continuing, by the way, no matter what the propaganda is, that right. we're coming out of it. We're not coming out of it. We're still in it. Uh, just to ask the millions of people who cannot find work, uh, the millions more that have just given up and have dropped off the radar screen of the Department of Labor. Uh, they feel, you know, many of them are older workers, uh, and they, it's very difficult for them to get back into uh, the job uh, market. Now, the thing that's gone on with the propaganda system, and, and the propaganda system, of course, is part of the capitalist uh, hegemonic system uh, overall. They control the media, basically. And uh, the media focus on bad apples, Uh, All of these, you know, greedy Wall Street bankers uh, who were not properly regulated, uh, hedge fund managers who, uh, you know, ripped off their clients, uh, people like Bernie Madoff uh, and Raj Rajaratnam and uh, Rajat Gupta and and, uh, many others. All the focus is on uh, the rotten apples. There's no focus on the barrel which continues to produce these rotten apples on on a regular basis, and that barrel is is capitalism. There's something structurally, systemically wrong with this economic system that produces such bad results for so many people, uh, not just in the United States, but around the world. And I think it's time we we talked about it in an honest way uh, and and looked for solutions. Um, And, you know, one of those solutions, as proposed by uh, Richard Wolff in Occupy the Economy, is some kind of collective action, collective economic action. Uh, by the way, capitalism is also extremely destructive of the environment since it's, its DNA is driven by uh, a voracious appetite to consume more and more natural resources. Uh, and this is having uh, absolutely catastrophic effects uh, on our uh, natural world. The constant looting and plundering uh, of Mother Nature cannot be sustained, and it's not being sustained. Uh, that's why you have extreme weather now. Uh, that's why you know people are talking about the climate cliff. Forget about the fiscal cliff. I'm not worried about the fiscal cliff. I'm worried about the climate cliff because once we go over it, uh, th- there will be irreversible damage to uh, Mother Nature. And so, to address 
a critical issue like the environmental crisis. It has to be a collective global action. It cannot be Bangladesh or Sierra Leone or Bhutan or Canada addressing a global warming. In order for it to be effective, it has to be a collective action, uh, and, and the United States is not taking the lead and on this. In fact, it's contributing more than ever and that's a to good global place, that, warming with, you know, celebrated uh, fracking uh, and the right. extraction of natural gas. Well, absolutely. It's, tr- it's absolutely true, but I'm going to need to hold you there so we can take our public service break here. We're at uh, Sun FM TV here in, in Sonoma Valley. We're talking to David Barsimian. I'm going to stumble on that one, I can tell. But anyway, we're talking to David Barsamyan and his book, Occupy the the Economy, Challenging Capitalism. We'll be back with you in just a minute. And please stay with us, David. Just hang there, and we'll be right back. The annual Fish Christmas Basket distribution will be on Friday, December 21st, between 9 and 4 p.m. at Hannah Boys Center. Help is needed to carry food baskets to cars on distribution day. Call 996-0111 to volunteer. Canned goods may be delivered to fish barrels found around town. Bell ringers are accepting cash donations on Friday through Sunday at CVS, Glen Ellen Market, Lucky's, Safeway, and Sonoma Market. The Great Sonoma Bell Ringing Challenge has begun. The mighty Kiwanis team has challenged the formidable Sonoma Rotary team. The competition runs through Sunday, December 23rd at 6 p.m., and the winning team is awarded bragging rights for an entire year. Drop by at CVS for Kiwanis or Safeway for Rotary. May the best team win. Fish and those in need in Sonoma Valley are the true winners. This is the Sun FM, 91.3, KSVY, Sonoma. And welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Deadhook today doc, uh, joined by David Barsamyan and his book, Occupy the Economy, Challenging Capitalism. And, and David, you just gave us a nice uh, full-throated taste of the kind of the crisis that we're in and kind of how that what what you represent and the and the voices that you've been carrying all these years are 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 some of the major background voices in the sort of the pushing back of the haze that that the uh, conventional media wants us to sort of buy into so when I look at your book uh, with uh, Richard, I, I, I look at the, 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 the questions that you asked. Tell us a little bit about how you put this book together. Did you sort of sit down and think about what questions you wanted to ask? Did you, did you collaborate with Richard on the kind of questions? Because I do want to go over some of the questions and some of the answers, actually. No, I don't collaborate with people I talk to. Uh, I don't tell them in advance what I'm going to ask them. Uh, I want the element of surprise and spontaneity to be there. I don't want to rob... Uh, the, that from the right. uh, excitement of the of of doing a one-on-one interview, uh, I'm very proud that this book incidentally is published by City Lights uh, Press, uh, right out of North Beach in San Francisco. Uh, right, no, founded by Law Berlinghetti. This is my second book with City Lights, and it's now in its third printing. So wonderful. people are 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 reading this book in large numbers, and that's a third printing for a book from City Lights that really counts for something. Uh, you know, it's a small independent press. 
It doesn't have, you know, the money to take out full-page ads in the San Francisco Chronicle or the New York Times or the Washington Post. And so the fact that this book is getting out there uh, and is being well-received uh, by readers is very, very heartening. I met Wolf in just about a year ago, actually, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I was very taken with his ability to explain complex economic issues in very clear, transparent, non-academic language. I call Wolf a non-academic academic. Yeah, he knows the stuff, but he's able to explain it uh, in terms that are very accessible to uh, average people who find uh, economics a rather arcane and dense subject that's littered with lots of graphs and charts uh, and endless data. And, and, and so Wolf and I did uh, uh, our first interview in Santa Fe. We followed that up. Followed that up. I went to New York. Uh, we did a few more interviews. Uh, he lives in New York. He teaches at the New School. Uh, and as fast as you can say, uh, you know, uh, Jack Rabbit, we got the book out. Lights got the book out, and um, right. Wolf has been on C-SPAN. He's been on the Charlie Rose Show. Uh, he gets you know quite a bit of coverage uh, in the media. I travel around the country quite a bit, giving talks um, all over. I was recently in in Santa Rosa, actually, uh, also at at, um, at Sonoma State, uh, where I where I did an event. So uh, it's good that this book is getting out. It's it's very affordable. And uh, people can find out more about it at alternativeradio.org, alternativeradio.org. In terms of the questions that I asked, I am trying to put myself in in the shoes of the average person. What would they want to ask? Okay, so let's say, you know... what is the issue with Social Security? What can be, is there, is there a problem, first of all? Uh, which is one of the questions I ask uh, Wolf. And uh, he, he says, you know, very simply, that this could be easily remedied by raising the cap uh, on uh, Social Security taxes. Right now, let's say, Ned, your income is $108,000, right? Right. It may be that, that amount. And Warren uh, Buffett and Bill Gates... Uh, are also paying um, taxes, Social Security taxes, up to $108,000. After that, it's, it's capped out, which strikes me as enormously uh, unfair and unjust. They're able to pay much, much more than uh, what they are paying. So by raising the cap to $150,000, $200,000, then uh, that would ensure the system of economic solvency and stability, uh, probably into the 21st century. But the propaganda system, of course, is saying, you know, we're running out of money, running out of money, be scared, we've got to cut, you know, benefits, we've got to cut Medicaid and and Medicare, we've got to increase the retirement age. Are you kidding? People should be retiring earlier, not working longer and longer. That's a real health issue, uh, particularly with people who are doing manual labor. Uh, they die much earlier than uh, most people are, and they're certainly subjected to many more physical illnesses because of the stress of the work that they perform. Right. Well, one, of course, the, the other thing that, that Wolf does so effectively also, not only does he sort of take a, a particular piece like you just mentioned, but he also lays out 
kind of this long sort of slow story about how it was how American exceptionalism was built around the um, and triumphalism it was built around the fact that America had, had rising wages up until the 70s and then since since the 70s wages have been essentially flat for the for the 99 percent and yet for the one percent they've become astronomical and he, he Wage, wages become astronomical for corporate executives right. uh, but also corporate profits skyrocket right. uh, from that particular period, particularly uh, beginning with Reagan, let's say around 1980, where you had a tremendous cut in the uh, corporate as well as the personal income tax rates. And so uh, corporations were also outsourcing jobs. That's when, you know, they discovered that they can, uh, you know, make more money uh, building furniture in, in Tanzania and, uh, you know, uh, having garment factories in uh, Pakistan rather than in North Carolina or New York. Uh, so corporate profits went through the roofs, uh, roof. Deregulation uh, went into effect. There was less and less uh, government supervision of what corporations were doing and how they were doing it. Uh, offshore, uh, the outsourcing of jobs. Uh, you also had the, the fiction of a lot of uh, off, offshore corporations. Uh, American corporations were buying P.O. boxes in the Cayman Islands and other islands in the Caribbean and therefore uh, escaping um, income taxes. But you don't have to go that far. You can just go to the great state of California, uh, where you live, uh, to, keep, to Cupertino, where Apple has its corporate headquarters. Well, Apple, you know, which is the iconic American brand, everybody's favorite iPad, iMac, iPod, uh, they happen to have an office in Reno, Nevada. Now, why would they have an office in Reno, you might ask? It's cost, cost them about uh, $50,000 a year in, in rent alone. Well, by having an office in Reno, they funneled through all of their international profits through that particular office, thus avoiding California income tax on those international uh, gains. Uh, so that's you know that that's how they game the system. That's how you know they've got the they've got the money so they can hire the lobbyists who can design the laws. Uh, they can hire the the tax lawyers and the accountants who can you know figure out where the loopholes are. You and I don't have those kinds of advantages that a corporation like uh, you know. Apple or Microsoft uh, has. And so that's, you know, one of the ways that the 1%, uh, you know, are able to increase their economic power at the expense of the 99%. But I think it's, it's important to say that we don't have capitalism in this country. Anyone who says that doesn't know what the economic system is, actually. We have a kind of state capitalism, uh, which, which means that there is an enormous amount of government enabling of uh, capitalist of the capitalist economy. That is to say, uh, let's take the National Institutes of Health, which you and I pay for, and which listeners and viewers of this program uh, pay for through our taxes. They invent medicines. They invent them. Uh, they do the research and development. They invent uh, the vaccines, and then those medicines and vac vaccines, the fruit of all of that research and development, goes into private corporate hands. Goes into the hands of Pfizer and to GlaxoSmithKline and other uh, large uh, pharmaceutical companies. Uh, the same is true with the internet. The internet was not invented by Bill Gates in some garage in Sunnyvale or Palo Alto. It was invented in the Pentagon at public expense. 
It was part of DARPA, D-A-R-P-A. It's an acronym for Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. That's where the Internet was developed. That's where all of the research went, you know, was over many, many years, uh, and then it's handed over to uh, private industry. So in sector after sector of the American economy, there's hardly a sector uh, that has not been paved with our tax dollars, which then magically uh, become profits uh, for private corporations. So to talk about, you know, we should, we should mention that, you know, there's really existing capitalism is not capitalism according to Adam Smith. If it were, then all those banks and Wall Street, you know, financial institutions like AIG and Bear Stearns, uh, they would have gone under. Because under classical capitalism, if you can't make ends meet, if you can't pay your bills, uh, you go out of business. But that's not where, where it works here. Not only are these corporations too big to fail, they're too big to go to jail. It's a point I constantly make in my talks, and a wolf makes it as well. If you or I still uh, you know, uh, go up to a gas station and pull away without paying for our gas after filling up the tank, it's very likely we'll spend the night in jail tonight. Right. But if you, if you steal someone's pension funds, if you, uh, you know, if you benefit from insider trading and make millions of dollars in profits, then nothing happens to you. I mean, the, the hypocrisy here is simply staggering. Well, it, it, now one of the things he says kind of around the middle or close to the middle of the book, he says, ca- or your, your question is, cap- capitalism historically has been resilient. In previous times up to the present, it, uh, uh, it, it's been against the ropes, but then it bounces back. How has it been able to do it? Can, you, can it do it now? Or is the economic uh, crisis something uh, seminal in the history of capitalism? Well, I think the economic crisis and the attendant environmental crisis, I, I cannot stress that enough. We have to keep talking about what's happening to the earth in terms of its, its uh, destruction and uh, the great peril uh, that we are, the earth is in, that the planet is, is facing and all the people on this planet uh, uh, are facing as well. well uh, the reason the, you know, the capitalists, the so-called capitalists, I, now I'm going to say that because I've made that caveat, we don't really have capitalism. Right. We have a peculiar kind of state capitalism, which, where there's an enormous amount of government intervention to protect the capitalists right. uh, and, and their particular interests. They control the media. And so uh, a lot of the, you know, the propaganda that people are subjected to, uh, you know, makes the case to maintain the system that focuses, as I mentioned, on the rotten apples, never on the rotten barrel that produces the rotten apples. And so, yes, you know, the system has been uh, somewhat resilient. It, it, it was also very successful in terms of propaganda of besmirching the name of socialism. Uh, and uh, associating uh, socialism uh, with Stalin, with gulags, with Siberia, and things like that, which are, of course, all heinous, but have really nothing to do uh, with socialism. Socialism, the name, uh, was hijacked by Lenin uh, when he created the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. These were not socialist republics. This was a top-down, authoritarian, uh, autocratic state run by the few, and that's, uh, and that's a, for the many. And that's, of course, one of, the, one of the, the sort of the generousnesses of, I think, as I read Richard Wolff, one of the generousnesses of his attitude and also the way he presents. 
He's he's really in his efficient and and simple way. He's inviting us back into participation into our political democracy, and I do want to get our, not to let too much more uh, water under the dam without letting our listeners, if anybody wants to call in and have a visit with David, you're welcome to give us a call at nine three three nine one three three. Actually, we'll probably just go ahead and take our second break now, a little bit early, so we can leave some time for questions for David. So we're listening to Dr. Ned Hoke talking to David Barsamyan in his book, Occupy the Economy, Challenging Capitalism. This is a conversation with Richard Wolf, Professor Richard Wolf for the New School of New York City. We'll be back with you in just a moment, so please stay with us. Hi, my name is Bill Stallings, your host and musical mechanic for the Rocks Files Radio Show, intelligently designed, theme-oriented rock and roll. Now, double your pleasure twice a week, Friday and Saturday from 7 to 10 p.m. Rocks Files Radio, through music, we feel, on the Sun FM 91.3 KSVY, Friday and Saturday from 7 to 10 p.m. Cimarron Sanctuary, a Petaluma nonprofit where magic happens for horses and kids, is raising funds right now at Indiegogo.com slash Cimarron Sanctuary. Donating to Cimarron Sanctuary is a great way to contribute to the community, help a child, and save a horse. Go to Indiegogo.com slash Cimarron Sanctuary. Listen to Sun FM 91.3, KSVY Sonoma. And welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hoke today joined by David Barsamyan and his book, Occupy the Economy, Challenging Capitalism. And I, uh, uh, David, I wanted to go right to coming. It's it's one thing. uh, It's part of what the whole conversation needs to be is the is the let's call it the complaints and the and the sort of. The airing of the of the of the distresses of of all these various things, and but what, what this book also offers is a is a more than that. It also it also at the very end it offers a what do they call a manifesto for economic de- uh, democracy and ecological sanity. So let's yeah, spend- that's I think that's the salient point of the book. You know, it's one thing to have a critique, which right. is important. Right. You know, what's wrong with the system? But okay, buddy, smart guy, you know, smart Alec, what do you propose? Right. Well, here, Wolf you know, lays out, uh, I think, some very concrete proposals for a different kind of economic system. Now, I'm not going to say this is not going to happen overnight. Uh, I think it's going to be a gradual process. Uh, we see signs of it, actually, uh, right in your area, in the Bay Area. Do you know about the Arizmendi bakeries? I've heard of it. I haven't actually been, yeah, been there. there are yeah, there six worker-owned cooperatives. Right. Uh, they, they began... Um, um, I was walking in, in the Mission District uh, in, on Valencia in San Francisco just a couple of months ago, um, around 23rd or 24th Street, and I look up and I see this Ariz, Arizmendi Bakery, and underneath it it said worker-owned and operated. So I made some inquiries, and it turns out that you know there are five other, other bakeries and cheese shops in the Bay Area that are worker-owned and, and controlled. There's a guy... Um, I think his name is Jim Curl in Berkeley, who's a, a carpenter who's organized a collective of workers, uh, building trades workers, masons, roofers, uh, other carpenters, so that if you need some work to be done on your house, 
or your apartment, you can call this collective uh, in Berkeley. That's happening more and more. And one of the examples uh, internationally that we can learn from is uh, Mondragon. Uh, do you know about that? Uh, yes. In fact, one of our local lights here, uh, uh, Georgia Kelly, is leads uh, work, leads workshops in, in Mont- to Mondragon every year. And she's yeah, I heard about Georgia Kelly. I, I think maybe you brought it to my attention. Well, she's actually but, uh, she's, this is this is a, this was actually started by a Basque priest, in, well, a priest in the Basque country of Spain, right. uh, whose name was uh, Arismendi. That's where the uh, San Francisco uh, co-ops get their name from. They, they're honoring the Basque priest right. uh, who started Mondragon. Right. Well, Mondragon today uh, consists of you know tens of thousands of workers. It's the seventh or eighth largest enterprise uh, in all of Spain. Uh, it's a cooperative. It's not just farmers, but it's also craftsmen and artisans and artists and they're all different kind of and this uh, is work a- groups within Mondragon. So there's an example, a larger example of something that is working and I think people should you know pay attention to that adopt and adapt what is uh, useful for for here in you know for our purposes here and try to implement those kinds of things but uh, Ned I'm actually running out of time okay. I have another interview to do okay uh, and uh, well we're, do, we're, it's been a great pleasure talking to you and we were, and we, were your, um, we were glad you know, to we were glad to have you on and, and yeah yeah I hope health matters will you know, direct <laughs> people to alternative radio.org yes sir thanks so much David Thank you, Ned. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that's David Barsamian and his book, Occupy the Economy, Challenging Capitalism. So um, we do have a little more time. If anybody is out there that wants to call in and make a comment on what we were just talking about, you're welcome to give us a call at 933-9133. And uh, until, until such call arrives... Or should that call not arrive? I think what I'll do is just simply go on with the reading that I was doing from this book because I thought it was such an interesting book. And uh, so where was I? Okay. Across the pages that follow, what emerges is the central importance of how capitalism is very particular organization uh, production, masses of people, working people generate corporate profits and others that, that, that others take and use. Tiny boards of directors selected by and responsible to tiny groups of major shareholders gather and control uh, corporate profits, thereby shaping and dominating society. That tiny uh, minority uh, boards and major shareholders of those associated and with dependence upon corporations to make all the basic decisions how, what, and where to produce and what to do with the profits. The vast majority of workers within and and residents surrounding the capitalist corporations must live with the results of corporate decisions, yet they are systematically excluded from participating in making those decisions. Nothing more glaringly contradicts democracy than how capitalism organizes the corporate enterprises where working people produce the goods and services without which modern life for everyone would be impossible. On one hand, criticism and debate around the adequacy of capitalism in relation to to real alternatives have been repressed in the United States and beyond. On the other hand, the evidence this book considers shows how we need that criticism and debate now more than ever. The interview, therefore, does not shy away from posing the logical and reasonable questions flowing from the topics covered. 
Does capitalism serve the interests of most people? Can we do better than capitalism? Nor do the interviews hesitate to suggest some logical answers to the questions such as, as, as is it possible to democratize the economy? And is it uh, possible to advance society beyond capitalism? Key steps to building a social movement in that direction are the psychological as well as the ideological breakthroughs to activism being achieved by the Occupy movement. A next step involves working through ideas, concepts, principles, and values needed to empower, mobilize, grow, and unify the emerging activist uh, generation. This book seeks to contribute to that next step. So that's that. And uh, that's the end of the introduction. And um, uh, I did find it, I I guess I, who didn't take economics in college, and I didn't um, give much attention really to the the organization of business process as a young person. I was just trying to find my way in the world and you know make enough to, to make a living. But as I've as years have gone on, I've I've continued to look at what we've produced in terms of the human family, in terms of the fa- the human family that's near near to me, the people that I can see, the the products that we make, the attitudes we take, the the privileges and relatively lack thereof of of, of of the 99%. And I've always wondered, I mean, as I was a young person, I always used to look and wonder, look at the people who were the subordinates in society. I was wondering, what was it about them that made them subordinate? I mean, and uh, and why did they get all the dirty jobs? And why was it those of us who were privileged and didn't, you know, we had our little dirty jobs, but basically we didn't have our, a lifetime of dirty jobs. We had taking out the garbage or doing something. But, and, and it always puzzled me. How is this all working? And why is it that, why do so many people put up with uh, uh, the, sometimes this negative uh, environment? So this book is a good answer to that. So if there are any questions out there, any comments, I'd be happy to hear them at 933-9133. And we'll maybe, seg- maybe we'll segue into a new section of the program which I wasn't quite ready for David to say goodbye, so I'm going to make it up here. What I want to talk about then is I do have a, um, a discussion of vitamin D. This is an article by Stephen Levine, Ph.D. It's in a June uh, 2011 uh, magazine that I, that I get, that I get a subscription to. and It's a professional subscription, but it, it dis- discusses a... A uh, pretty important topic. One of the teachers that I go to on a fairly, uh, fairly intermittent basis, I should say, a gentleman from, interestingly enough, from Boulder, Colorado, just as, as uh, David Barsamian is. Uh, this gentleman uh, is one of the, my teachers, and he, he, at a lecture recently, he said that vitamin D was the real vitamin C, and he was one of those vitamin D supporters. And then <clears throat> I ran into uh, Dr. Kennel uh, at the recent. Um, American Public Health Association National Meeting in San Francisco several weeks ago. He's written a major book on vitamin D and the necessity of vitamin D. And, and uh, of course, many of my uh, customers, and, and, of course, I'm a physician, and so I have people at that level, And then, but I have, they have other people they work with in that role. And so many people are getting the message that they're, they're low in vitamin D. Well, there's so much. There's there's a lot to that topic, and so uh, one of our actually local activists, a, a vitamin D activist, um, whose name is escaping me this minute, uh, Ayers Leslie Ayers, not Leslie, that's, his, that's her dad, uh, Leslie. Um, 
Anyway, Ayers, uh, she's she's the gal who does the uh, Grange, uh, the barn dancing at the Grange, and she's she's passing out forever uh, interesting interest interest. Uh, words on vitamin D and how she's trying to get the school involved and so on. But anyway, it's one of those things that is, uh, um, there's a lot to be talked about in terms of vitamin D. So I'll just read something from this vitamin D article just to kind of fill the time and, and to remind myself. It's called A Spoonful of Sunshine, The Vitamin D Picture Matures. The much-discussed August 2010 issue of Focus was devoted entirely to vitamin D and received tremendous positive feedback from from physicians. We offered an in-depth distillation of the peer-reviewed literature, explored the profound crosstalk that occurs between D and A, and the views of experts on vitamin K, D, and A. It supported a balanced approach to supplementation that is a pro-hormone, making sure the other fat-soluble vitamins are not ignored. Two of the most important insights come from the newsletter were that too much vitamin D or too little vitamin A will create a functional deficiency of vitamin A with associated immune issues, that testing is mandatory for anybody concerned about vitamin D levels as individual variation is so great. That's one of the things that, they, to, to segue away from the article for a minute, that's one of the things that my teacher, in uh, my Boulder teacher, made so much a point of, how the... Um, the the testing was was the was was an important key, and if I remember correctly, the the value he was saying that you were looking for uh, was um, uh, in the and I, I don't remember the 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 units, but it was the number was fifty. Anyway, since the since the time since uh, now now going back to the article, since that time, numerous exciting studies of vitamin D have been published, showing the deficiency of vitamin D is connected to illnesses such as breast cancer, multiple sclerosis, cardiovascular disease. As the picture matures, a balanced approach is, is the consensus. In November, the big news came from the Institute of Medicine, which the first time since 1997 issued a new recommendation on safe levels of vitamin D supplementation, and. Um, which is a big topic, by the way, because there was, for so many years, it was suggested that you only were supposed to have 400 units. It, they, it called for at least 600 IU of vitamin D daily up to the age of 70, 800 IU daily at, after the age of 71. They raised the safe upper limit to 2,000 IU international units of, to 4,000 international units for adults. The minimum and maximum safe range is right in line with the levels recommended by vi- vitamin D expert Crispin Sullivan, um, somebody that I've actually uh, been in contact with over the years. Uh, very interesting um, nutritional information from that woman. Anyway, however, any supplementation must be based on regular testing of vitamin D levels, given the great variability of individual sun exposure, genetics, and diet. Not surprisingly, there was still some pushback against the, the Institute of Medicine's new recommendations, especially since 600 especially the 600 international units daily. A source no less than prodigious than the Harvard School of Public Health nutritional source offered a commentary co-authored by Heinke A. Bischoff-Ferrari, MD, PhD, uh, and Walter Willett, uh, famous Walter Willett, who noted that the Institute of Medicine's recommendation safe threshold um, uh, was not adequate for preventing fractures. In, concept, in contrast, the Institute of Medicine's report, the International Osteoporosis Foundation, a 2010 pa- position paper, recommended a threshold of 75 um, 
for optimal fall and fracture reduction, recommended 800 to 1,000 international units of vitamin D per day for seniors age 60 and older. The Harvard newsletter approved the upper limits in the support of a greater safety margin in the, result, in the research and supplementation strategies. So as you see, in other words, the, what we've been told for many, many years that the, the safe upper limit of 400 international units per day was insufficient. And this is, of course, the... Um, that that and the testing seems to be the big part of this. Of this, let's see what else they have to say here. That's of, of particular interesting. Uh, one of the other things that my teacher mentioned actually about the vitamin D also was the the, the since the agostral of the skin, the the ability for the skin to do the vitamin D conversion had a, 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 was considerably influenced by how clean you were. And to, if you cleaned yourself too much, your skin, his claim was your skin was, was less able to, uh, to create the vitamin D that we needed to be generated by, by ourselves. And, of course, particularly now as we get into the winter season and the dark season, as it were, this whole vitamin D question becomes more uh, prim- primal, primary, I should say. And so for those of you who are out there in the next two or three uh, months, you might be wise to have when you go to your physician, uh, if, for, if, you have, if you have any reason to be there at all and there's going to be a testing to be done at all, you certainly would be wise to have your vitamin D levels checked and to see where you were in the picture of all that. Because, of course, where you are in the dark season is, is um, going to be a little bit different oftentimes than where you are in the sunny of the summer, sunny time of the summer. So uh, that's enough of that, maybe. Um, next week, we're going to have a chance to uh, visit with a woman who's written a book on worry. So for you, those of you who are steady worriers, um, you have an opportunity to have a, a conversation with, or that is a, a participation with a discussion with a, a, gen- a woman who's written a fine book on worrying. Uh, let's see. Also in my notebook here, again, just to... Fill the time properly. I've got an article here on dental exams. I don't think I want to read that. And let's see what else. Uh, <laughs> I like that, but I'm not sure I should read that. That's well, why not? Option Unexceptionalism. This is by E.L. E.L. Doctorow, published in April 2012. If you're a justice of the Supreme Court, ignore the first sacrament of democracy and suspend counting ballots in a presidential election. Appoint the, appoint the candidate of your choice in a, and as president. Almost done here. If you're a, the newly elected appointed president, react to a terrorist attack by invading a non-terrorist country. Despite the loss and dismemberment of untold numbers of lives, manage your war so its results will be indeterminate. Ooh, that's a heavy-handed one. This is E.L. Doctor. He writes a very good piece there, but I'm not sure we're ready for that today. So we're backing out of that one. And um, this is from Thich Nhat Hanh. Our true home is the present moment. To live in the present moment is a miracle. The miracle is not to walk on water. The miracle is to walk on the green earth in the present moment. To appreciate the peace and beauty that are available now. Peace is all around us in the world and in nature, in our bodies and spirits. Once we learn to touch this peace, we will be healed and transformed. It is not a matter of faith. It's a matter of practice. That's from Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Zen master. 
And now I do have to get out of here. So if you cannot pacify your spirit, you let your mind be complicated with desires and worries. Your disease will not be cured. To be healthy, you must avoid anger and worry, but keep your mind happy, your heart at ease, and your desires at low levels. That's the guidance of the Yellow Emperor's classic of internal medicine, the basic book of Chinese medicine. Our Health Matters motto still is, healthcare isn't a noun, it's a verb. Tune us in again next week. Until then, I bid you well. Yeah.